This poem is titled Sunflowers, which are pretty much everywhere this time of year in South Texas. Los mirasoles duck their small heads, repeating and repeating nods of recognition. It has been more than a year since I last drove this road, Route 665 through fields bordered by weeds. More than a year since these look at the sun flores caught my eyes in their spider web of stems, that graceful network of leaves and thin strands. Their high necks bounce in the wind, jerking and jerking like crazed swans. As I watch them whiz by the window, I know I have come home to La Tierra, these fields heavy with the white of ripe cotton y los recuerdos, the memories. My second book, thank you, uh, Between the Light, came out earlier this year in a second edition, and it has this beautiful cover. This is my paternal grandmother, and this, uh, there she is with some of us. I'm going to read the opening poem from that book as well which is titled Border Sonnet. And you may notice it doesn't sound like your typical sonnet that you may have be familiar with. When you live in South Texas, you hear como que no as often as why not, and your ears don't notice when the tongue speaking to you slides over, fluido, smooth as wax paper, to say, bueno, bye, See you mañana. Or hasta, girlfriend. Call me apenas. Our bilingual speaking, our code switching, our back and forth movements, we are combining culturas. Es la vida simplemente. En las fronteras, we live between, entre lenguas, countries, economies, between the lines, in the gray areas, mas or menos. Language has no borders, no geography. It dances where it wishes, map or no. Thank you. So this book also talks about my family and my own experiences, trying to find my way in the world, trying to find my place um, as a person and as a writer. And I'm going to share this uh, other poem because I, I often write about our food. This one is titled Aguacate. Slippery flesh that melts in my mouth, yellow-green color of new leaves. When I squeeze your oval body after slicing you in half, your insides chunk off the smooth underside of your skin which is so wonderfully nubbly on the outside, as if the rain had hardened on you while it fell. I love to eat you whole, slice you in half lengthwise, remove your teardrop pit with a flick of the knife, and part your flesh into slim boats that lie shipwrecked on the plate or float in a sea of lettuce, slicking green goo onto the tomatoes. Or I scoop you out with a spoon into a mocajete and mash you smooth con chiles pequeños, guacamole pa comer con tostaditas, 
or to spread on a tortilla solo, con frijoles, para cenar. I enjoy you any which way, always fresh from your skin, the dark rind that seals you in, your tropical taste, tu sabor tropical, full flavored for my tongue. This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always mas. And what we're doing today is we're celebrating Latina leaders, and this is full circle. So this is not only the 25th anniversary of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, we are celebrating commitment to the next generation. And there's several things that are going to happen today, and I want you to, to, to keep track of this. We're going to celebrate poet Elisa Garza in a little bit, who with us started the Latina Girls Writing Group. And some of those young people are now in college. So you'll see, you'll hear some of the poetry coming full circle with that. Additionally, you're going to hear from Heraldina uh, and Tarano Weiss as Alma, an organization dedicated to creating a state-of-the-art, multidisciplinary Latino arts, not one building, complex. They're going to release a survey to ask you where it should be what it should host of. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think we should have such a facility? It's about time, right? Love it. Thank you. Thank you. My dear friend, Lenora from the Mayor's Hispanic Advisory Board, <laughs> diving into it. I love it. But that survey is going to pave the way for this actual facility to appear. You'll find out more about that. But this is the launch of the survey. We're going to ask you to be partners with us for that as well. And then uh, Liz Atencio, who is the founder of Monday Paper over in that booth, um, you've got your Nuestra Palabra journals. Her company designed those, and those are imported all the way from Venezuela. You're going to hear from her. They're being launched today as well. So we're crossing international borders. Good to share your story. And then, of course, we're so happy to be joined by Harris County Commissioner Leslie Briones, who will be talking about the book from today. And then my... Mayra Valle will be sharing her book, which is for first-generation college students to be successful in college. So that's also a premiere as well. So we're so happy to have that. And then continuing with our celebration of Latina leaders, we will have Delia Garcia, who's the editor of the Latina Leadership Lessons, 50 Latinas Speak. She'll be talking about her book and then signing her book. But that book includes stories by such persons as uh, County, Commission, County Judge uh, Lina Hidalgo, Sylvia Garcia, and 48 others. So we're happy to have her here in Houston to launch that book. And then we'll close with some dear words from our dear friend, Maria Duran from the Central American Collective, one of our allies in making sure that we touch every single part of the community. So I do want to say one thing before we begin. Yes, I'm proud to be Chicano. Yes, when Arizona banned Mexican-American studies, Libro Traficantes, like Libro Traficantes Sound Jacob Schaefer, like Libro Traficante Agustin Loredo, 
like myself, uh, with the founders, Brian Paras, Leano Lopez, Laura Costa, um, Lupe Mendez. Yes, we stood up loud and proud for Chicanos, but that did not mean we do not stand with our Central American brothers and sisters, our South American brothers and sisters. We are together, we are united, and maybe we have to say that out loud, we, ha we will say it out loud. So we are united with everyone, just like Alma will serve everyone. And today our mission, we're here to save freedom of speech and to save the planet for sustainability. And what that means is with the free books you're getting today from the National Endowment for the Arts, we're happy to apply for a grant. Um, we're gonna give away 400 copies of that book. You also got a free copy of the Nuestra Palabra Journal. The challenge is for you to fill that book with your story and come back. And we want you on our stage and on our radio show. And we want it to rain books, like it's raining today, we want to rain books for underground libraries, public libraries, and family libraries. So we're going to begin with some awesome poetry. In 1998, when I founded Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, and I convened with other of our members like this, people said that there was not an audience for Latino literature or Latino poetry. I'm so happy that we've teamed up for 25 years to prove them wrong. Elisa Garza has an MFA. She joined our MFA initiative and helped us get over two dozen Latinos into MFA programs. And she's coming back with her book, this is some of the best poetry in the nation. Please welcome back home, Elisa Garza, por favor. Good evening. Thank you, Tony, for that introduction. And thank you for inviting me to be here today. I'm, I'm very happy to be here on a day when we're talking about and asking people to tell their stories and to share their stories. It's so important. Um, not, and I, I don't say that just because I'm a poet, but because I have been a teacher, and I'm always telling my students that it is um, so important for them to write their stories and to know their stories and to share them with others. So I'm, I'm going to start uh, with a poem that talks a little bit about the difficulties that I faced when I was just starting out as a writer, wanting to share my story and looking for an audience for my stories, and it's titled, How to Become an American Poet. First, understand that poetry is not for you, little brown girl. Poetry is written in proper English, not that border slang that you speak. Second, poems are serious, love and nature, death, wars, nation building. You know nothing of such things. And later, when you have learned about war, nations, loved, seen death, visited nature, you will realize your pretty words do not build our knowledge. If only you were a man, a man at least, can see beyond the ordinary. Third, if you must write, do not write about women or their sphere. 
serious poems ignore domestic life. No new knowledge in the house. Fourth, no one will publish your writing under that name, so foreign and female. If you do manage to write in proper English, seriously, like a man, you must be anonymous to readers, your name ordinary, interchangeable, unremembered. So obviously I didn't listen to all of those voices. Uh, my first book, titled Familia, um, tells the stories about my experiences with my extended family in South Texas and uh, my own experiences. And the opening poem in that book is titled Cabrito. Our uncles bought a black goat, tied it to the mesquite tree by grandpa's shed. We stared, my cousin, my brother, and I, niñitos wondering why they'd tied him up, but the men would not answer. Together again, the uncles laughed, told their stories in loud Spanish while drinking beer. The young goat bleated and hobbled an arc at the end of its rope. We ran as close as we dared to pet him, but the uncles said, déjalo, leave him alone. The next day, after our egg hunt, after busting cascarones, eggshells and confetti in our hair, we crowded into the yellow kitchen for plates of arroz, frijoles, itacos, dark strips of meat, fresh chile, tomate. So many of us gathered there that we crowded onto the porches, todos un grupo grande, eating el cabrito in sunshine. So I'm going to close with a new poem um, that really fits the themes that Tony was talking about, the importance of writing your story and sharing it. This one is titled the browning. Not just this drought, dry grass spears crisping under relentless sun, or the dark cows lying in dust, chewing tough stems and brittle mesquite pods. Texas has always been brown. Rivers khaki with silt, melting to marshes, seeping to waves that slap seaweed onto shores. In fall, magnolia leaves flip from green overnight, float down to join the cinnamon pine needles and hide the precious pecans that will keep the squirrels fed through winter. Beavers build their wooden dams. Bears hibernate in the quiet thicket while the deer walk regally and hunters wear the forest. They seek relaxation in the weight a set of antlers to display, meat for their tables, but no longer cure leather to wear, to make saddles or shoes. Texas is brown, like the faces of my people, the Alazapas and Mipan Apache, Los Carizos and Coahuitecans, the Hacienda Dons, Vaqueros, seamstresses, shopkeepers, and migrant cotton pickers. Our children are brown, a cafe-colored past, 
a bronzing future, inevitable, bountiful, breathtaking. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And her books are available outside. We hope you'll support her work. And that's a really great message to send to the publishing industry that we do want to hear more work about us by folks from our community. So thank you again for all that you've done and for your incredible work. Um, and again, it, it's hard for us to organize these places all over the city because we don't have a home. Having said that, I want to bring up Heraldina Interano Weiss, who is an architect by trade, a visual artist, but she's giving her own time to push for Alma, which I'm happy to have helped write a grant for a million dollars, to use our intellect to write a report, which we will release this December 2023. But Heraldina's vision was to help make sure that this not only happened, but we had the support for that. She's about to tell you about the survey that is being launched and that will lead to a brand new building. And we hope that you will all take part in that and also take the survey. So Heraldina, if you'd kindly come up, please. Thank you so much. As our wonderful poet said, we code switch. Those words are so powerful. Uh, my art is about that. We code switch, but we don't have to. We can be our authentic selves. We can bring the best of us. We can find what we have in common. I am from El Salvador and he's a Chicano and yet we talk. And yet we dream. And yet we eat. And yet we want to leave these United States of America a better place because we are brown and milky and every which way our wonderful poet says we are and we are. I am a proud mestiza, as are many of you. And so you may want to ask, well, what is Alma? Alma is a dream. It's a collective dream. Alma is our board of directors who is there as servant leaders. Did you get that part? Servant. Not because we are servants or because if we are, we are embarrassed to be servants. Not at all. It's because I want to serve the new generations, the ones that could have the hope of being represented, could have the hope of having a home for our culture, not having to borrow spaces here and there and, and pay through the roof to get together, to unite, to connect. We want a home for our culture, so we want to serve you and the new generations. So who is Alma? Really, it's you. It's those baby girls. It's every one of you with grandchildren and children, every one of you young people who, haven't, who, who don't have a new generation yet. You are the new generation. That's Alma. And why, are, why am I here today? Not to steal anybody's thunder, but let me tell you a bit of news that hasn't even come out. We have written a survey for you. When we were working on this survey, we said, when was the last time you got a survey that was written for you? I just, I even wonder, who is this, who is this written for? It's never for me. Well, this is for you. And know that we are here for you. And that our number one concern as the board of servant leaders for Alma 
is to build trust with each one of you. That is our number one goal. The big goal, of course, is to build that home for our culture. But the number one trust, to build trust with you. So thank you, Tony, for organizing this. Thank you for each one of you for listening and understanding. I think you understood this is as important as it's going to get for not only us, really, for the whole Houston, for the whole Texas, for the whole nation. Help us get to the voices of all of you. So thank you. And I really do want to follow up and thank Commissioner Briones, who is here when it's pouring outside. Okay, and if you've ever seen her to-do list, it's daunting. Uh, but I'm so happy that she's always there for the community, even when she was a teacher. I don't want to, she's going to tell us a little bit about her bio, but I respect her so much because she's been a corporate lawyer. She's Ivy League Chicana. She could be in the corporate halls. Instead, she's out here with us in the rain talking about books. We get to talk about books with her tonight. So please welcome to the stage at the seat right here, <laughs> Commissioner Briones. Please give a round of applause to Tony Diaz, Nuestra Palabra. And to all of you who are here. And Alma, I can't wait to take the survey to get that call to be there when we have the center that is long overdue. And I share the passion, I share the vision, and we're gonna get it done together. So I look forward to that. I will be brief. I'm here because I have a passion for the arts. And that comes from many places. I think it started because my father was my mother's English professor. So, but for literature, but for literature, and it was British romantic poetry that particular semester. But for that poetry, my mom probably never would have fallen in love with my dad. And I would not be here but for poetry. And growing up on the US-Mexico border in Laredo, and I see so many dear friends in the audience, Poet Garza, your words really resonated deeply because getting to grow up on the border in two countries at the same time, but in between, always in that gray, your words spoke to me. So thank you. Thank you for your words. Let's hear it again for our poet. Thank you. And, you know, my parents are both teachers. So I think it's in my blood. And when I saw that Sandra Cisneros is coming, it made me so happy because I remember teaching the house on Mango Street to my students and to be able to meet her would be a dream. So I look forward to being a part of that as well. So I taught eighth and 10th grade. And what I would always tell my students when they were writing is we all have a story. We need to tell our story. Your story is more than enough. And it is in sharing that story that we are able to build our own individual power, our communal power, and our society's power. And I stand here also as a mom of three little girls. I only have two of them with me today, Ana Lucia, who's in kinder, and Catalina, who's in fourth. And they both love to write, so that makes me very happy. And I also want to thank my Precinct 4 team members who are here, Alice Lee, my chief of staff, Rufina Tarajan, our director of special events, and we have some other 
Precinct 4 team members here as well. The reason this matters so much to me is because as a Latina, now living here in Harris County, where I've been since 2007, we are nearly half of Harris County. Half. I was so proud when we, I saw the numbers, as we all did, that we are about 40%, over 40% at this point of the state of Texas. The way I see us telling our voices now is in those beautiful books that we were given when we showed up. It's in our poetry, but it's also at the ballot box. If Latinos do not use their voice, however you want to vote, but if we don't use our voice and vote, they will keep referring to us as the sleeping giant. We are awake, and we need to show them just how awake we are. And I'm so proud that on Commissioner's Court, which is a body of five people, we now have three Latinos. Judge Lina Hidalgo, our county judge, and I see a representative from her office. Thank you. Commissioner Adrian Garcia, who we all know and love for decades, our former sheriff, and then myself. So we have three Latinos on this body of five. So on Commissioner's Court, we now have the representation that we have long, long deserved. And as women, this is the first time in Harris County history that we have two women on the court at the same time. Imagine that in 2023. And I apologize for the sarcasm in my voice, but it should not have taken till 2023 to have two women on a five-person body. But the point is, the more we vote, the more we can put people who represent our values, our families, in these offices, in these professorships, on these board of directors for nonprofits, for for-profit companies, this is our right and it is ours to lean in and to take. And when we get in a position, we need to make sure we're bringing others to the table and when we're at the table, that we're helping each other thrive at the table. Because that is what it's all about. It is making sure that our children and our grandchildren are always in a better place than we were. And so today, on behalf of the nearly 2 million Latinos in Harris County, on behalf of the nearly half a million people who are undocumented here in Harris County, on behalf of all of our ancestors and the sacrifices they made so that we could be here in the United States of America to fulfill our own American dream. On their behalf, I say thank you. Thank you to the writers here who are lighting the fires in all of us. Thank you to the elected officials who are standing up to represent us. But the truth is we can't do it without you, whether it's feedback on a survey, helping us to make this cultural center a reality, helping to elect more people of color across all offices. The power is in this room. The power is in our neighborhood. The power is in our schools. The power is within us. Así todos juntos vamos a salir adelante, pero juntos. Y jamás, jamás, jamás deberían llamar a nosotros que somos dormidos.
porque estamos despiertos y estamos aquí y vamos a continuar la lucha porque así debería ser. Somos casi la mitad de este condado, casi la mitad de este estado de Texas y vamos juntos siempre, siempre adelante. With that, we will always move together forward and I would like to close with this resolution that we presented at Commissioner's Court. Tony, if you could please come up. I won't read every word, but the bottom line is it celebrates the 25 years of activism, of speaking truth to power, of championing Latino voices. We are so blessed to have Tony Diaz as a leader in our community, our state, and our nation. So join me in celebrating the last 25 years and the next 25 years. The best is yet to come. Felicidades. On behalf of all of the volunteers, the poets, the writers, the sponsors, on behalf of all of our ancestors who are silenced, ignored, or erased, thank you so much, Commissioner Briones. 25 years ago, we dreamed that we could assemble a room of leaders like this. 25 years ago, we imagined that our voice would persist. And I think 25 years ago, we knew that juntos we can do it. So thank you so much for reinvigorating us. Thank you. Appreciate it. And I do want to reflect on some of the blessings we have for today. So we want to thank the National Endowment for the Arts for the grant that they gave Nuestra Palabra. We are giving away 400 copies of Infinite Country by Colombian-American author Patricia Engels. And we're leading more book discussions about that. Now, I want to turn your attention to um, the, the journals that you got. So as we call uh, Liz Atencio up here, I do want to make sure that um, Emmanuel and uh, Mark, make sure everyone has one of the journals, uh, the Nuestra Palabra journal. So make sure everyone has one of those, please. And we'll call Liz up here to give her talk. But I do want to make sure everyone has one. So some folks cancel because of the rain. So want to make sure that everybody here gets their journal, that you fill it, that, there you go, that you fill it and that you come back and tell us that you filled it. And we want to make sure that we have you on our radio show or on stage reading one of your works as well, because that's really what this is about. Um, there are a lot of folks at work to keep hands, to keep the hands of our community away from books. I'm not going to go down all the laws that there are now. I'm not going to go over all the book bans. We're Libro Traficantes. We defy all those book bans. We did that back in 2012 when Arizona banned our history and culture, and we defied that, and we joined the Gente of Tucson overturned that. On top of it, too, we want to make sure that you have those books today. So uh, right now, please welcome uh, the founder of Monday Books, who created that journal in your hands, uh, Liz Atencio. Round of applause. Thank you, Tony. Such an honor to be here. And what a great opportunity to talk about Monday on a Monday, right? 
So here I am during the Hispanic Heritage Month, surrounded by powerful Latinas, and I have to say that I feel right at home. My name is Lisbeth Atencio, and I am the founder of Monday Paper. I am a Latina creating jobs in Venezuela and collaborating with Latinos here in Houston, all while giving back to our community. I'd like to share a bit of my personal journey with you. I am an architect in Venezuela, but as you know, sometimes in this country, you need to start over. So I decided that instead of building or constructing buildings from steel, I will construct dreams from paper, sustainable paper. Please hold up your Nuestra Palabra journal. Do not mistake this for any journal. This is a work of art. If you open the first page, you're gonna find the Nuestra Palabra core message. Tell your story. We teamed up with Nuestra Palabra to create a journal worthy of your hopes, dreams, and stories. You deserve that. And I am happy, here, I'm happy to play a role in uniting our community and helping you, to, helping you to share your voice. So whether you are a business, a nonprofit, an educational institution, or a community organization, Monday is here to collaborate with you. This is an example of, sustain of Monday Sustainable Notebook, one of our best sellers. Our mission on Monday, it goes beyond creating simple, beautiful journals and notebooks. We want to do it sustainably, taking care of our planet. Our notebooks and journals are made from sugarcane paper and soy ink, which means that when you're writing them, you are not only capturing your dreams, but you are also helping to preserve the environment. And now I want to talk about what this company means to me personally. As a Latina, I have a deep connection to my homeland, Venezuela. The economic and political situation there has affected so many people, including my family. By creating jobs in Venezuela through Monday Paper and trying to give back to my community in the best way that I know, through creativity and innovation. Every purchase of a Monday Paper journal and notebooks not only supports jobs in Venezuela, but also empowers Latinas here in the United States. This journal is more, is more than just paper and ink. It's a tool for your dreams, a step towards a more sustainable world and a way to connect with your heritage. I invite you to join us on this journey. Let's make a change together. Let's write a future we want to see. Let's create a legacy that our children and grandchildren will be proud of. Together, we can empower our people, protect our planet, and make every day feel like a fresh start, like a Monday. Save the planet as you 
save the world. Thank you. I really hope that in a month, I don't want to put pressure on you, a year, <laughs> we have those books back and we're telling your story on the radio. And you know what I would really love? Because we dream, right? We dream. I would really love the day we celebrate the publication of your book. Um, I should give a shout out to, um, I'm, the, I'm proud to be the literary curator for the Latino bookstore at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center in San Antonio, the only Latino bookstore in the state. What's up with that? What's up with that, right uh, But I would love it then if your book from today is being toured Houston, San Antonio, and all over the country. Um, that's the only way that we can pull pull together. So I hope that that is the next step going forward. Having said that, I do now want to bring up to the stage Mayra Valle, who is writing in order to help students who have been forgotten in the admissions process and who will then use this book to navigate a system that is part of access to the American dream. And one thing I do want to say for folks that do, want to, do not want to get involved and they think, you know what, right now these laws, these banning issues don't affect me. Let me make one thing clear. In my personal opinion, when I was a kid, my parents were migrant workers. English was my second language. It's pretty good, though. huh? <laughs> I learned it pretty well. Um, I fear that the American dream through education may not long, no longer be within reach of our students, if we have over, if we can't overcome student debt, and if in classrooms teachers are intimidated, libraries are not stocked with books, and if families don't have access to books. On that note, Maida, please come up here and tell us about the project that you're working on and share some of that introduction. Can we give Tony another round of applause for setting all of this up for us? So I must admit, um, having so many phenomenal people here today made me have a little bit of imposter syndrome, like, am I supposed to be here? Am I worthy? Am I deserving? And then I had two little voices on each shoulder. One was from Selena, one was from Rihanna. Selena said, me siento muy excited. And Rihanna said, fake it fake it till you make it, hence the outfit today. Um, so thank you all for being here and for just making this space feel as comfortable as one can make it feel, especially during uh, Latina Heritage Month. Because of Latina Heritage Month specifically, I did want to take a moment to also highlight something that Elisa Garza uh, mentioned today, that we are currently sitting on stolen land, and for many of us, the border moved over us and our communities didn't move at all. And so I do wanna take a moment to acknowledge the land and acknowledge the people of this land, specifically the Karankawa, Akokisa, Guahuitecan, and Atacapa people that lived in, in this area, that currently live in this area as well, as they were the original educators, stewards of the land, healers, students, and teachers. The work that all of us do wouldn't be possible without the work of our ancestors and our current elders. Um, so I do want to acknowledge that. Um, one of the things that you'll know about me is, yes, I work in education, but if you ask my family, 
I am the one who's trying to fill in the gaps wherever I see them when it comes to education spaces. So just fun facts. Uh, my mom is one of 12. My dad is one of nine. It made for a really big family tree and um, a lot of community on the north side. All of us pretty much live on the north side of Houston, and it meant that all of us really connected on the things we brought to the table. Okay, cool. Theo does construction. Great. That's who we call. My mom, you know, has these talents to be able to bring communities together. Great. And in a family where everyone could contribute something, I often wondered what I could contribute. And growing up, I didn't know what that was until it hit me over the head when I graduated college, and it was college access. How can I be someone that opens doors for the phenomenal and brilliant minds that I grew up with so that they too feel represented in a world that doesn't always look like them, doesn't always feel like the communities that they come from? And so now I like to say my job is hyping students and creating platforms to elevate them forward. So as Commissioner Briones talked about today, our stories are important um, and our stories matter. And so I thought that something that I wanted to start with today was a story that I would have written um, at 18 years old while I was trying to be admitted to college. So I wanted to share a little bit of that with you all and also talk to you all a little bit about what that journey looks like for a lot of our students who are often forgotten in the college system, whether they be undocumented students, students going to two-year colleges, and colleges, students that are going to trade school, or students that are interested in exploring military. We never really have a path or a camino for them to follow, and so hopefully I can play a little role in doing that for our young people. So this is called Abuelita's Table. I'm welcomed by the familiar smell of chocolate de abuelita, pan dulce, and flour tortillas on the comal as we walk into her house. My cousins and I placed our backpacks on the couch before being seated at abuelita's table. Every day before school, three generations congregated around the table of telling stories around tradition and authenticity. I still remember the image of my uncle showing off his muscles before heading out to work or my mom's gaze at her hands, showing them off to my grandma in between her comedic stories. And my aunt's rants about the absurdities that she had to process while at work. For 30 minutes every day, we held precious space for us to just be people, regular people who shed the skin of who society made us to be, but who we just were. These conversations began at the age of five and continued well into adulthood. The older I got, however, the more that I saw these early childhood memories become a big part of who I was. I then realized, though, the older I got, that those memories were looked at through rose-colored glasses. When I looked deeper, I realized how differently I had seen my memories than what they really were. With age came a clearer view of these moments. Theo had lifted his sleeves to show his harmful sunburns, not those muscles, I thought. My mom took moments out of her storytelling to look at her hands that no longer had fingerprints on them from the chemicals used to clean other people's homes. My aunt made an effort to cover her worry from being fired with humor. She didn't want to ruffle feathers because she still had bills to pay. 
The interwoven stories of financial instability, a lack of political representation, and an abundance of discrimination created a tapestry of my family's struggles in the US. Despite the challenges, everyone shared without shame and listened without judgment. How precious are spaces like that and how rare are they? Abuelita's table challenged Mexican machista culture and created a space safe enough to see grown men cry and women forget the idea that calladita me veo mas bonita, not at grandma's house. Abuelita's house felt safe to be who we were, even in a world that made us feel unseen and underrepresented. As I got older, I began to wonder, why are these conversations limited to Abuelita's house, right? Why do we wait for these sacred spaces that are very rare? The table that exists in the real world is limited for many of us. The table that sat the decision makers rarely looked like me. So I had three choices at that point, right? Give up, wait for permission to be seated at the table, or build my own table. The first was not an option for me because I don't know about you, but I don't know any Mexican in my life that was a quitter. So that wasn't an option. Waiting to have permission to sit at the table seemed unfeasible. No one from our zip code was coming back to tell us, hey, let's uplift you too. It felt like I was waiting for a phone call that would never come. So it left one more option, create that table for other people. And so I have, but here's the trick to building the table. No one builds it alone. I am proud to be community made. I am from the North side. I am the daughter of Ludivina Valle who sits right there. Um, and nothing that I've done is only because of myself. It is because of every single person that I've had the pleasure of encountering along the way. And I hope to one day do that for the students that I serve. So many of us have big dreams and we don't know how to harness them. And that's a lot of what I do, right? When I was in high school, I was the student who was hoop wearing, curly hair rocking, so not much has changed, but that young girl has turned into a woman who is unapologetic about the resources she wants to bring to young people. Currently, uh, currently five million students identify as first generation within the college process, meaning that mom and dad did not go to college and they don't know how to navigate that process on their own and no one is really creating pathways for them to learn it, right? Undocumented students often do not know what pathways to funding they have. And if you're anything like my students, teachers have told them because you're undocumented, you will be able to, you, you won't be able to get financial aid if you do apply to college. It seems like there are more door slams in students' faces than doors opening up for them. And so I hope that the upcoming project that I work on continues to best serve students to be able to open doors and elevate students so that they know people who are professionals who go to college can look like them because I don't know if about you guys, but I look across my community and I realize there is never, there has never been anything special about me. There are brilliant people who never leave their zip codes or their communities, not because they're not brilliant. They don't leave because they don't have opportunity or access to do so. And I think about that all the time, right? And how can we harness that brilliance around us and create a pathway or a camino to college? Thank you so much.
speaking of powerful Latinas, so on October 15th, we're going to welcome to Houston uh, Sandra Cisnero. She's doing a special fundraiser. A round of applause. Sure. Why don't we applaud her? Because she's awesome. Um, and she's doing a special fundraiser for Nuestra Palabra. Um, she's coming with another poet. We're going to have some also other poets that were involved then. Um, we're going to have a visual artist who will create a work in honor of saving freedom of speech and saving the planet. We're going to auction that. The proceeds do, do go to Nuestra Palabra, so it'll be 50% for the artist, 50% for whoever bids on that. Uh, and you'll notice that we are, there will be an admission price, so if you come here, you'll, get, you'll be able to get to the tickets. Now, I want to say two things about that. One, no one's going to be turned away. If you know students, send them to me. They want to go. They will get in. I will guilt trip lawyers, doctors, and real estate agents to get tickets for them, okay? So, so they will get in. Um, and I also want to say one other thing. We are about community cultural capital. So um, our dear friend from the Central American Collective, Maria Duran, where's Maria? She's working outside. She's outside helping people get fed right now because you brought out the food. But just so you know how awesome our gente are, she designed, and Mark, if you can click on, uh, get your, click here for tickets to me, Sandra. So our square page, we just thought it was like a little aparatito to process the money. She actually developed our donation page. Maria, there's Maria Duran, please. A round of applause for Maria. And she's got her Katie Kai. Katie Kai helping us out. This is sorority. Yes. The awesome sorority. Pero te estaba tirando flores, and I was thanking, thanking you so much and bragging about your, your high-tech skills because you took our Square website that I didn't even know we had access to. <laughs> but now, when folks want to donate, they can actually now donate online. We can actually facilitate tickets. Additionally, Nuestra Palabra is a fiscal sponsor for several collectives like the Central American Collective. So if you want to help a group that helps Central American writers, readers, and community, you can also go to our page and you'll be able to click on the Central American Collective link and donate to them as well. I mention all that because we are not in competition with each other in any way, shape, or form. And I know the people in the room know that, but we need to spread that. And uh, I do want to mention some of the amazing folks in the room who are fantastic writers and leaders. But what I love about you is that you give the spotlight to others. There are so many folks in this room that are used to, you know, you get paid to speak. And then you're very humble and you come in a great audience. I'm going to name a couple. Also, the Mayor's Hispanic Advisory Board. Uh, we got Dr. Lopez. Uh, we got Dr. Serena Villarreal. We also have uh, Isis Fernandez, whose book of poetry will be out uh, very soon. We're going to celebrate that. Uh, Dr. Jesse Esparza, who's got his new book, Raza Schools, as well. Um, and so many other folks. Raquel, who's here today as well. Thank you for joining us. And I think what's fantastic is that we are just so such a proud, beautiful people. Uh, Mary Helen Cavazos from also the Mayor's Hispanic Advisory Board. The death of our, the death of our power is amazing. But I personally want to thank you for being so generous with your brilliance. Uh, Cesar right now, who said he knew he was going to do high school. I want to protest in high school. He knew that. He knew that back then, uh, the founder of Fiel. But with, right now, there's so much bad news. When we convene together, I get so much energy because I'm like, the people that want to shut us down, they must be confused. Because they're like, we've, we've passed this law. We took this away from them. But they're happy. 
They're smart. They're talented. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, we are. And that's why we're on the right side of history. On that note, it gives me great, ple great pleasure to bring up our next editor and writer. She is a genius because she brought together this amazing book, The Latina Leadership Lessons, 50 Latina Speaks. And this includes our own Houstonians. I got to brag about them. Gerardo Flores, uh, Harris County Judge uh, Lina Hidalgo, who's in the book. Also, La Congresista Silvia Garcia is in the book. And Katie Kai is represented because you are a Katie Kai member. I want to thank all, all the Katie Kai members. Please stand up so we can applaud you for all the service that you do. Thank you so much. You've been helping us with the book sales. Um, and I had the pleasure of, of hosting you in San Antonio. We're at the Latino Bookstore where you shared your book. So today, we hope this book will find a way into your home, to your family library. Please welcome Delia Garcia. Well, thank you, Tony, and Feliz 25 years with Nuestra Palabra. It's been so great, this journey in writing a book for the first time. I did not know what the heck I was doing during the pandemic is when I wrote it. But uh, first and foremost, I want to say thank you again to Tony and Nuestra Palabra, to Houston Community College, who went through all the drama with the weather today and still we're here today. And my beautiful Katie Kai, uh, Kappa Delta Kai sorority sisters. Uh, I'll talk about that impact here in a second. Um, but especially I want to shout out, special shout out to um, Maria Duran, who I've known for over 20 some years in the sorority. Uh, I want to share a little background so that way you can understand why I wrote the book. Um, so I'm Dele Garcia, born and raised in Kansas. And yes, there are Latinos in Kansas. Um, but interesting enough, so I'm one of five daughters. I grew up in Kansas's oldest family-owned Mexican restaurant. It's Tex-Mex, by the way. Um, my father was born in Kansas, and his parents, my abuelos, were from Mexico. My mother, and he's one of five. And my mother is uh, born in the Rio Grande Valley in, uh, in Alamo, next to McAllen. Um, and she's one of 18. The twist to that story is... Um, she uh, was taken when she was four years old from my other uh, set of grandparents who took her to Kansas after changing her name and doing a lot of stuff that was not nice. And they thought, we'll take her to Kansas because no one will ever find her or us there. <clears throat> uh, no one did until my mother was pregnant with me. I'm 46 years old. So they found my mother uh, 46 years ago. I share that part with you because that's a huge foundation of... Um, my identity and the work that I have done and do and continue to do. Um, I've always been surrounded by, and I mean no offense to those who may take offense, but um, I have repurposed and uh, uh, redefined the word chingona. And I, I, I love that with all my heart. Um, in fact, if I can get a tattoo, I might do that. Um, but I've been raised around chingonas, all the women in my life, my, all my grandmothers, all my tias, my five sisters. Um, fast forwarding to college, I wanted to see myself because I did not see myself at Wichita State University in Kansas. And so when we started, uh, Capital Takai was the first Latina sorority brought to Kansas. Uh, and then once I joined that sorority, we're, I realized we're like all over the country and still are. <clears throat> fast forwarding to my uh, adult career, I joined the National Hispana Leadership Institute, which Laura Cano is over here. There we are with NHLI sisters. So I share those pieces with you because 
one thing that has been constant um, has been the influence of seeing myself and being empowered by other hermanas, especially when I'm down and out. And in spaces of, um, I ran for political office. I worked for actually, I went to school in San Antonio, undergrad and master's. I worked for Senator Randa Pute. And in 2004, in April, I get a phone call. I says, hey, Delia, what are you doing? Basically, they're like, why don't you come back to Kansas as an open seat? You've helped all these candidates win their elections. Why don't you come back? And I'm like, no one will ever vote for 26 years. I was 26 at the time. A Latina had never been done, and uh, I didn't have that faith in myself. Um, so I said no five times. And statistics show women um, have to be asked six to seven times. Women of color need to be asked seven to nine times to run for public service office. So I was definitely a statistic. Long story short, I ended up running, and um, I didn't want to because I was in my last semester uh, to get my master's. I was supposed to graduate in August, and I heard if you take a break, it's hard to go back. Well, uh, I ended up running. I got elected in August and graduated in August with a master's. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. I kept my apartment and my roommate because I didn't think I was going to win, and I told my tokaya Delia, also Katie Kai's sister, hey, I'm going to do this crazy thing. I'll always wonder what if, if I don't get elected. Um, so I'm going to still pay rent and I'm going to keep my clothes here, you know, whole summer because I'm probably going to be back. I'm probably not going to win in August. So when I won, I'm like, oh, uh, I've got to do this. And I had always helped other campaigns, but it was different being the one right now. I had met Dolores Huerta, uh, civil rights icon, back in 2000. And I see her in... September, the month after I won my primary election in Washington, D.C., and I was like, oh, my God, I don't know if you remember meeting me, but I just won my election, and I'm going to be the first Latina, da, da, da. you know, I, I, I have a thousand questions, can I, can I, can we talk? And she's like, yeah, I'll give you my cell phone. So we become homies, we're like homegirls, like forever since then, uh, that's why she wrote the foreword of the book. She's also, we made her Katie Kai, so she's a sorority sister of the capital Takai as well. Um... <clears throat> I share that piece because when I ran, when I was elected, um, from day one, I was facing like various, um, I guess, challenges. And when we talk about when Nuestra Palabra and is fighting for making sure we're having voices and making sure we're having a right to uh, language or just in general, um, it's those kind of rights where representation matters. And I, I knew that going in. I didn't know how I was going to accomplish that. And thankfully, I've had people along my path, people in this book, who um, the reason why I wrote the book is the women in this book are from 50, 50 women are from 25 states, three generations, uh, people who I have worked for, who people who I admire, people who I have worked side by side, and people who have worked for me on my teams, millennials, Gen X, Gen Z. Um, and, this, and I have more than 50 friends, y'all. So there's going to be more additions and, and uh, beautiful things are coming out of this book. We just launched during Women's History Month six months ago, and we've been in 11 cities. Uh, aside from me working, my, my, I'm a federal employee, and so I'm doing that on, uh, as my real job, and I do this uh, on the side to make sure that this book isn't getting in people's hands. If one person reads this book and gets inspired to do something and be chingona like herself, um, we ha have accomplished the purpose of the book. What I have learned is life, growing up, I thought life was straight. It was linear. I thought I was supposed to, you know, 
get married, have kids, and just do all the things that my grandmother would tell me to do. But instead of knowing, thinking, and know, think, well, it was the facade of thinking life is linear, I have learned that life is curvy, like me. And I like to embrace that, feeling like I'm Selena. Um, and I talk about that, those, those curves in my book. Um, each of the women, I asked them the same question. All 50, I said, one, one, answer me one question. During the pandemic, <clears throat> it really hit hard. As I know for many of you, it did too. We were all at reflection point. And I remember um, when RBG passed. And it was just like gut-wrenching. Um, oh, I forgot to mention, I served as cabinet secretary of labor. My, my governor appointed me, so I left D.C., I'm sorry, I served for the, in the state legislature. I made laws for six years, and then I went to D.C. for 13 and ran a couple of national nonprofits uh, at, at Teachers Association and then also Migrant Head Start Association um, and working with migrant families, which was fitting because on my mom's side, everybody was here in Texas were farm workers. So all my work has always been uh, personal, very personal, but it's always been uh, when I've witness women being uh, mistreated or, or, or barriers uh, to opportunities. And so when I wanted to write the book, I wanted to make sure that a woman could look at this book and see herself and have this be the mirror. And, it, and each of the women have various uh, industry backgrounds. There's elected officials here. There's, there's DACA. There's Dreamer students. There's Dreamer moms. There's um, ambassadors. Uh, there's both Republicans and Democrats. Um, there's just a variety of women in here. And so there is a story for somebody to connect with. I, I remember one time uh, when I was in the state legislature, uh, specifically March 31st, 2005, at 1247 in the morning. Uh, we were on the House floor. And uh, in-state in tuition, which, by the way, thank you, Texas, because y'all were before us. You were the uh, third state to pass in-state tuition. Kansas was the fourth. There are now 29 states who have in-state tuition, and we still have not passed the DREAM Act or Pathway to Citizenship. But at least in some of these states, we have in-state tuition. Even though people, some people might think Kansas is a little crazy, some people are, but so does Texas has it too. Um, but I remember one night, specifically on the house floor where I was tested, and I was tested to my bones. Uh, at 12.47 in the morning, on that March 31st of 2005, my refreshment legislator, I had only been elected for, I had been serving for three months. And we had just passed in-state tuition the year before, 2004. A legislator comes on from the other side of the aisle and, and uh, has, makes an amendment to the budget and says, I want to repeal in-state tuition. And at that point, I, I wasn't, sometimes you just, there's tons of people on the floor, you're not listening. And so when that happened, they're like, Garcia, you got this? And I'm like, what's going on? I, I, I find out what it is. And so we, we stall for time. We ask for the, um, person, the clerk to read line by line so that we can do our research. I pick up the phone. And I call, thank God for MALDIF, the Mexican-American Legal Education Funds Fund, because I'm not an attorney. Thank you to all the attorneys for all you do. And I called them and I said, look, Marisol, like, I, I, I'm sorry I'm waking you up. She's like, hello. And I'm like, there's a amendment on the floor. I need your help. I don't know what this means, blah, blah, blah. And I start reading it. And she's like, okay, you say this. And I'm like writing, scribbling, scribbling. And, um, and I hang up and I press my button to speak. You have to press your button to be recognized. The speaker then... I'm like next, and I'm looking at my paper like, what the, I can't read my own writing. Um, 
I go up and I walk up because I'm the next speaker. And I'm at the podium similar to this. And on this side are all the Republicans and on this side are all the Democrats. You could hit a penny drop by the time I got up there because it was like, that was like the mama of in-state tuition. And I knew I had to speak to the majority of the body from an economic standpoint, money, what this means for the state, financially, blah, blah, blah. But it took everything in, in, in me to like bring that back and get the strength from my ancestors. And I, and I share that piece because it, through that, uh, I remember getting up to the podium and looking at my scribble and looking up to the, to the gallery where the public is to sit and just like seeing my ancestors and feeling the love and the power from, from them that just like maybe get up there and like have my together. Uh, I did not lose it because I knew that the media was there and it's like under this pressure of being a woman, being a person of color, being the youngest female in the, the chambers. So there's this trick, you're supposed, you pinch yourself and then you don't cry. <clears throat> I'm over here pinching myself, trying to read my notes, and I pull it together, and I ask the, the carrier of the amendment, uh, you know, do you, you know how long it takes to, to become a U.S. citizen? No, but I'm sure you can tell me. And I'm like, yes, it takes, you know, 10, about a decade if you're lucky, and then you, what you're proposing doesn't make sense, and da, 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 so thank you. So she steps away, and I, I pull out all the economic cards, and then I come to wrap up and say, you know, and also just join me in devoting down this amendment because... This breaks up families. Uh, please join me in voting down the amendment. So I say that, and I walk to my seat, and there was only one speaker after me. And I sit next to my colleague, and, and she's crying. And she's like, that was so great. Like, I was like, don't touch me. I'm going to lose it. Like, play with my phone, my pen, and the vote happens. And there's, there's, there's a things on the, each side of the screen, and it's yellow, I'm sorry, green and red. And if, if it's tie, it dies. And I'm hoping for the tie because it looks like a tie. The final vote goes up 68, uh, I'm sorry, 63 to 58. So we killed it by five votes. It was that night that I knew that representation mattered. I knew that being a Latina, that, yes. <clears throat> having friends who are attorneys who knew that, having the foresight to pick up the phone and call, to uh, organizing before the vote, um, but let me tell you, that was a lonely time in that moment of time and, and, and like pulling from that ancestral love. One beautiful thing that's happened uh, as we talk, when going around, you know, this past six months talking about the book is every single one of these women, and mo many of them don't know each other, um, have all given a homage and, and, and gratitude to their ancestors. And that's something very unique we don't see in other leadership books. I've read tons of leadership books. I've read a lot of things about women leaders, um, and that's something that I, I didn't see. And so having this like gift, it was really, I was trying to give a gift to the world, and really I was the one who received the gift. After every time I would receive, I'm like, hey, you guys got to turn it in. And then they would, it would be a moment of like, hey, can you have five minutes? And I'm like, and some of these women, U.S. ambassadors, you know, people who are making laws in our cities are like, I don't think I'm worthy of being in here. So I'm like, yes, you are. You're chingona. And so one of my uh, 10 lessons, uh, I'll just tell you the first one, and you can, you can buy the book and see the other night. Um, the first one is to be chingona. Take risk. Learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and embrace change. At times, I have spoken up with a shaky voice, and it feels so good later. 
I just wanted to share that piece of uh, inspiration of, of why I wrote the book uh, during the pandemic. Um, I, I also learned to play the accordion and I went back to took a Spanish class. I did a lot of things to try to develop myself in areas that I thought would help me be a better person and a better leader. Um, and still that continues where I'm working today, but the women in here continue to inspire me. And I have to say, you know, hearing the, the poet uh, Garza start off tonight, I was nervous. And when I heard her, I saw, I just met you tonight. I was immediately inspired because I saw myself in you. Uh, and I think, you know, for the gentlemen in the room, even though this is all Latinas, I know you know a, a sister or, or girlfriend or, or a, a family member, but this is also for men. I, I've loved how some of my nephews and, and uh, guy friends are like, I love, you know, you know the, the page 72 kind of thing. Um, but this is for everybody. Uh, and I want to just thank, again, um, Tony and everybody um, for uplifting these voices and leaders. And again, um, I hope you have fun with it and, and realize that life is not linear, that it's curvy like me and some of the people maybe. Uh, Selena was curvy. And um, anyways, and having fun with, with learning our lessons. So we're going to continue to do some, uh, we're doing some fun things on podcasts and social media. So I invite y'all to follow us too um, online and, and we have a space out there so we can share some of that with you. So thank you. And you will be signing books, so you can purchase it outside. We've got Katie Kai coming up here right now, and uh, you will be Delia will be signing books right over there. Um, so please purchase them outside. Of course, proceeds benefit Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, and of course sends a message to Dr. Canelo Serrate Publico Press that it's a great book. We're glad you published it. Great addition to an underground library public library or a family library and also uh please buy elisa's book as well and then uh you can also purchase books uh some beautiful journals from monday and then we have additional authors out there including dr richard tapia i do want to give a shout out to a few more folks before we let a woman have the last word Verda, verdad um and thanks for folks coming up to me and saying, hey, you forgot some folks. Please forgive me if I forgot to mention someone because y'all could be up here. I mean, that's, that's the beauty and complication of it. Uh, but I do want to say, give a shout out to our friends from Conversing with, uh, Through Poetry, Conversando a Través Poesia. Shout out to Alex Luster from the Story Hive. Uh, Donna Cole, who is a fellow American Leadership Forum member with me. Uh, Carolina Ortuzardias, who's a partner at Martin Ramirez, also a board member. Uh, uh, also, Carlos Duarte, who's on the advisory board for Alma, all the Alma team, uh, Carolina, Gabriela, um, and also the ground team. We got um, Emmanuel, Carlos, Mark. Uh, please give them a round of a hands because they're doing all the hard work, putting up all the signs. This room is bare, so it takes the HCC team to put up the chairs. It takes the Alma and P crew to put up all the banners. And what one thing we want to do is whenever we have a visiting session, which are on your cards, we do not want it to look like a corporate data collection moment. We want it to look like a pop-up art event with literature, with visual arts, because we want to spread it everywhere. Uh, additionally, a couple other writers, uh, Loida Caceres, a dear friend, a dear supporter. And then, of course, um, I want to bring up 
the folks that helped us set this up. It was pouring rain. And Katie Kai was out here getting the food together, getting the books together. We're going to give our dear friend uh, Maria Duran from uh, Central American Collective and Katie Kai the last word. So Maria, please come up. Bring the crew. Um, everyone, thank you so much for coming out. This has been an incredible night. And I think um, we have heard from incredible, incredible women, incredible um, individuals, um, talking about their experiences, inspiring us, motivating us. Um, on behalf of Central American Collective, uh, you know, I appreciate Tony so much and Nuestra Palabra for, again, creating that space for all of us. Uh, I think it's so important, especially in such a diverse city. This is the most diverse city of the United States. Don't let anybody else say that it's New York because it's, because it's not. Um, and so I think it's beautiful to be able to just see the um, all of the diverse faces here and um, and know that we have a space, um, know that we also have a space to who embraces us, who um, serves as a fiscal sponsor and lets us, you know, be creative and continue to even uh, make more space for, for more people uh, within our networks. And then on behalf of Katie Kai or Kappa Delta Kai Sorority, um, I have been a sister since uh, fall 2000. I am very proud to say that. I'm very proud that uh, my sisters are here today, not only at the alumni level, but also our undergrads. Uh, I think that these types of settings are so important because um, not only do we have such a diverse group of people, but also in age, there are so many of us. There are those that have have a little bit more experience that are able to, um, you know, provide um, information and provide um, just embrace right our younger our younger generations in order to help them thrive and vice versa actually because I think at the end of the day like we're all learning from each other and so it's just been very beautiful to see all of that coming together um, so I really want to invite you to continue to um, support this right support this not only by um, filling out that survey because it's important every single thing is important our vote is important our voice is important and the only way that we can make sure that things continue to change that things continue to um to move forward that we continue to really like create that impact is through data data means filling out the survey data means going out to vote um data also means showing up right in any way that you can um like this so that we can continue to say hey we're here and we're loud and we're proud and we want to create all this wonderful, all these wonderful things for our community. And then also just a, um, another final reminder that October 15th, um, we will have the incredible Sandra Cisneros here in, um, in Houston um, for this wonderful event. And, you know, come out and support um, the wonderful work that uh, Nuestra Palabra is doing as well as Alma. So thank you everyone so much for coming out today and um, stay nice, dry and safe. Thank you.